I walked down into the black hole of conspiracy theories this week. I know, I, I know. I, I was doing so well to stay away from the clickbait, but it got me. I, I blindly followed a link that a friend from college posted on Facebook. And I know, I know I should have known better, but, but I could have sworn it was satire. I just wanted a good laugh for the day. I, I mean, when the headline basically reads like how Obama and Bill Gates brought murder hornets and the coronavirus to the United States through Seattle SeaTac Airport, I mean, how is that not satire? Come on. And when I quickly realized it wasn't, eject, eject, I just couldn't peel my eyes away, which led me to click another link within the article to another link in that article to another and another and my eyes just grew wider and my jaw dropped further. My breathing turned into long sighs and groans as everything within me screamed, eject, eject. And with every new twist and turn, reading more like your afternoon soap opera, I. I found myself completely exhausted and dumbfounded by the mental gymnastics required to follow along, let, let alone believe such tales. It was like watching Ken Jeong on The Masked Singer twist and twirl, contorting his way into another obviously incorrect conclusion. No, Ken, for the tenth time, the kitty isn't Michelle Obama. Conspiracy theories guide us into a strange reality. They confirm our worst fears, heightening our anxiety, amplifying disdain for one another, closing us off, dividing and separating us from each other. They also confirm our greatest hopes, hoping that people are just as bad as we always knew they were, or just how terrible is the world we're living in. What we believe to be true about ourselves and that all of our deeply held biases are justified. They're cooperated, they're authenticated as fact. And everything else, it's just a hoax. But they do make us feel good, don't they? About our positions, contrary to reality, and, and we'll serve those conspiracy theories to the fullest, doing all the mental gymnastics required to satiate our deepest desires, no matter what the facts say, no matter what level of logical fallacy we need to entertain. We'll simply pull up a chair and invite foolishness to get cozy, contorting our minds and our hearts into a pretzel of disdain to match our own sordid reality. We're learning more and more, I think, that nothing is immune to conspiracy theories. They've been around for a long time, rewriting and recasting history, reframing and reconstituting reality. I mean, even Jesus isn't immune to this. Do you remember the Da Vinci Code and the secret sect known as the Opus Dei? These, these beliefs that surrounded it, that Jesus really had a wife and kids, that, that he somehow escaped from the cross and lived out his life somewhere in France with Mary Magdalene, and maybe, just maybe, you're actually a descendant of Jesus. And while these conspiracy theories hide in the dark corners of the world today, Jesus wasn't immune to them either. When he walked the earth some 2,000 years ago, who was this Jesus? Some people called him a prophet, 
wondering if he was Elijah or Moses come back from the dead, that, that he was nothing more than a miracle worker, a, a circus act here to confuse and lead people astray. Some thought that he was a blasphemer, a puppet of the state, distracting everyone so that the government could come and run roughshod over everyone's remaining civil liberties. Or maybe he was just a revolutionary, out to overthrow the government. Everyone had a different opinion about who this Jesus really was. And yet in John's good news about Jesus, he cut a clear line through all of the conspiracy theories, highlighting everything about who Jesus was and the truth that was being spoken. What the people were actually calling him, like Lamb of God and God's chosen one, the Son of God, the, the King of Israel, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Everyone's seeing and believing something different about who this Jesus really was, all leading up to the beginning of the third year of Jesus's ministry. Now, if, if you're just joining us for the first time, we've been walking through the miracles in the book of John, the, the fourth gospel in the New Testament, and what they say about who Jesus is. John described eight distinct miracles, detailing a new kind of life that Jesus is inviting you and I to step into. And believe me, it's different than you might think. In John 6, we come up on the fourth miracle, which is interesting because John only spends a little bit of time on the first two years of Jesus's ministry. But the last five miracles and the bulk of the Gospel of John all come in the last year of Jesus' life before his crucifixion. It's almost as if John is slowing us down, savoring the last year and all that happened, and calling us also to slow down a bit, to begin paying closer attention to all of these signs of life that are emerging around us. In the words of Ferris Bueller, Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. So, slow down with me. Don't miss this. Now, Jesus was moving and shaking. He, he never really seemed to stay in one place for very long, always traveling throughout Israel as an itinerant teacher, moving in and out of the synagogues to teach, pulling up on the side of a hill to teach and perform miracles, to heal people seemingly at random to eat meals and converse, to hear the great problems and challenges that the people faced, as well as to challenge the prevailing cultural narrative. And after two solid years of this, he's amassed a pretty large crowd of people who, who just seem to follow him wherever he goes, wanting to see something else remarkable, another sign, another wonder, a, a, another new teaching, another conflict with the power structures. And here, in John chapter 6, there's a crowd of, a, of around 15,000 people following him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 15,000 people. Now, according to one scholar, that's a rather conservative estimate because back in the day, they only counted men, not the women and children. And 15,000 people? That'd be quite a sight, right? I, I mean, 15,000 people just all walking together somewhere grabs your attention. Can you visualize that? I mean, it's like three times as many people as go to Mariners games. I kid, I kid. 
I miss baseball. I remember a couple of years ago participating with all of these passionate and thoughtful students in the March for Our Lives rally at Cal Anderson Park before we marched our way through downtown. At one point, I remember looking back to see thousands upon thousands of students walking together, filling the streets. I paused to take it all in and snapped a picture. It was stunning and beautiful. Can you imagine it? A mass of passionate and thoughtful people following Jesus like this. Everyone just wanting more and more of Jesus to see and experience this phenomenon, to, to maybe even get healed themselves. And, and as they're walking around the lake, wandering through these different towns and villages, you know they're just picking up more and more people along the way, picking up friends and families, acquaintances. Sean, you know, that one guy who thinks he's funny, but he's really just a jerk. The, the kind of guy that always comments on your Facebook post and, and all you can think is, here comes Debbie Downer. And it's disappointing too, because you know they knocked on the door looking for Joe, but instead got Sean. And as they're following Jesus, Sean just keeps yammering away with conspiracy theory after conspiracy theory. Come on, guys. We all know we didn't make that guy walk. It was just a trick. My parents forwarded me this email about him from Dr. Phil, and it proves what he's all about. You know he's not a real doctor, right, Sean? And he just won't stop. No matter how much they try and change the subject, he just keeps yapping, missing all the social cues, until all at once, and in unison, they shout. Shut up, Sean. And the crowd is full of these kinds of conversations, right? Everyone just trying to figure it all out. Ranking him among other miracle workers and prophets of old. Come on, James. You know Jesus is the goat. And James is all, goat? Greatest of all time? Really? Come on. I mean, he's great and all. The stuff he did with the sick kid was amazing and all, but, but he's no Jordan. He may not even be a LeBron. Top five, sure, but number one? And as they all talk and wonder, Jesus sits down in a field on the side of a mountain. Oh, so now we're just going to sit here on a mountain, right? Shut up, Sean! And as Jesus looks over this mass of people, he leans over to one of his friends, one of his disciples, Philip, and says, So, where do you think we should go buy bread for all these people? And I think Jesus said it with a smirk, right? Because he already knew what he was going to do. I, I think Jesus was a funny guy. I, I think he liked to joke around with his friends, pulling pranks and, and telling jokes. But, but Philip, Philip strikes me as the serious one. The, the one that doesn't know a joke when he hears one. At least not at first. And he gets all sorts of worked up. Jesus... Uh, I, I'm not quite sure we can afford that. I, I mean, you're looking at a half year's wages here. What, what, $10,000, $20,000? And, and that'll only be enough for everyone to get just one bite. And Andrew, another one of the disciples, he's been listening in. He gets the joke. He says, hey, Jesus, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But then he catches the glare from Philip and is all, but uh, I, I mean, it, it won't go very far, will it? <laughs> and you could just see Jesus pull a gem here, right? 
just have everyone sit down, okay? And he reaches for the basket from the boy with a little wink and only five small loaves of bread and two small fish. He blesses them and he begins to pass it out. And you can just see Philip and Andrew looking at each other. What on earth is this? Are you kidding me right now? And they watch as the basket moves from group to group to group. As people keep pulling out fresh fish and bread. Far more than the five loaves and two fish they started with. And they look over at the boy like, Are you sure you weren't hiding something else in there? And the basket goes and goes and goes until everyone had eaten. Until they'd had more than their solitary bite that Philip thought they'd get with $10,000. And Jesus, with a chuckle and a smile, has them go round up the leftovers. Hey guys, let's not waste anything, okay? And after 15,000 people had eaten their full, they gathered up 12 baskets full of food. Twelve. But, but while they were still eating, you know that they'd started to wonder, where did all this food come from? And the story begins to make its way around. A boy had a bit, Jesus prayed, and now the party's lit. <laughs> and they were stunned. Surely this is the guy we've all been waiting for, the one God had long ago promised to rescue and save us. I, I mean, I don't want to say I told you so, but... I told you so, Sean! I love how this miracle pushes us to see the seemingly impossible differently. That every situation, every challenge, every problem that we're faced with is an opportunity waiting for us to rise up telling us that there is a way through. And, and in the end, we get to see the glory of God on full display. In the wake of this moment, we see a little boy who had only a bit, but was willing to give it all. And, and no matter how ridiculous it sounded, five loaves of bread and two fish for 15,000 people, he was still willing to give it. He was still willing to participate in the solution, to rise up and plot a way through. And Andrew... Andrew was willing to bring him to Jesus, no, no matter how ridiculous it sounded. You see, no gift, no offer, no contribution to the solution is worthless. You never know what might spark a miracle. It's easy for us to see the problems and challenges standing before us and simply give up believing that we don't really have anything to contribute, nothing of value to offer. But, but that's not the point of this miracle. There are signs of life all around us, waiting for us to rise up, waiting for the spark of generosity, of possibility, of change. I remember the first time we invited Elliot to participate in the creation of the meal for Safe Harbor. She had seen the whole meal in action so many different times, but didn't believe she had anything of value to give in making it. One particular taco night, I asked if she wanted to buy the sour cream, with a part of her allowance she reserves to share with others. But Papa, I, I don't have enough. I think you do, sweetie. Let's take a look. And pulled out her share jar and counted up her money and noticed she was short. But I asked her, what do you think about looking in your spend jar? 
the, the part of her allowance that she gets to spend on herself. Her eyes lit up. I, I think I have more than enough with that. And sure enough, she did. We went to QFC, picked up two tubs of sour cream, and she handed her money to the cashier with such excitement. She gave what she had and contributed to providing a meal to over 55 people. Signs of hope, signs of possibility, signs of change, signs of life. The new life that Jesus has created for us to participate in, it's emerging all around us. Do you see it? The kingdom of God is burgeoning. It's sprouting. It's springing up all around us in, in ways both big and small. Do you see it? Sean and a whole lot of others put their conspiracy theories aside that day on the mountain. They tossed their mental gymnastics, their logical fallacies, and, and together they saw the glory of God on full display and with one accord declared, this is our king. Jesus was their hope. He was the change they had been waiting for. He was life. And while Jesus slipped away before they could forcibly make him king, they, they saw something new emerging before their eyes. With every act of goodness and kindness, with every act of mercy and grace, signs of life bloom all around us. Do you see it? You and I have been invited to spark the miraculous, to pull back the curtain and reveal the kingdom of God, to show the world the beauty of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Will you join me? Will you join me in sparking the miraculous? Will you join me in creating new life and grace everywhere we go? Will you join me in this sacred calling? Because together, together, with all of our little sparks, you and I, together, we can ignite a fire.